This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Welcome to Open for Business this morning. My name is Rich Bradbury. Let's talk a little bit about digital marketplaces. Uh, We know they're here to stay, and with heightening of customer expectations of the online shopping experience, Live Commerce Enabler, Upmesh, is powering a shift towards live selling amongst merchants in this region. Uh, They have an end-to-end solution that spans the entire customer journey from the initial live stream to order fulfillment. And in a retail landscape rewritten by the pandemic and shifting consumer behavior, digital marketplaces have emerged as the medium of choice for almost 90% of Malaysian consumers and businesses. I'm speaking to Wang Ziyang, the co-founder and CEO of Upmesh. Welcome to the show, Ziyang. Thank you, thank you. It's great to be on board here, and I think it's a rare opportunity to really speak to, um, you know, the end audience here. Thank you all so much for having me. My pleasure. Right. So a lot of people who are tuning in right now will be like, okay, tell me exactly what Upmesh is, what it does, and why do I need to be using it? And I, I suppose that's the fundamental questions. Mm, I get that question a lot. <laughs> I think in short, we're a live commerce enabler that aims to be the go-to partner for live merchants, people who are selling physical goods through live videos. Mm. And the, the way that we do it is not just through software, but really through an end-to-end uh, approach to helping merchants figure out how to navigate this new online culture around selling products. Right. So when you talk about this, we're talking about people who would normally try to sell their stuff through uh, things like uh, Facebook uh, and Instagram. Is that that correct? Correct. I think we associate ourselves more closely with social media as Uh compared to other platforms that, you know, might be more of a marketplace or more of a, you know, uh, independent uh, website, right? So Mm -hmm. the way that we do things is that we actually have our software kind of bundled into social media. And then if you want to sell goods on, you know, Facebook, Instagram Live, we're essentially the go-to partner for it. Mm -hmm. So Ziyang, what made you, you know, come up with this idea? Was this a personal problem that you wanted to fix or had you just kind of been observing this elsewhere and thought, you know what, I think maybe we can help do something with this? Hmm. The story is pretty interesting. I think um, for the most part, I think a lot of startup founders tend to stumble upon the problems that they face in a day-to-day basis and then they convert that kind of problem into their own you know, agenda to solve, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. For me, I had an interest in live streaming technology from a very early stage. So, uh, I'm not really a person who spends a lot of time on Twitch, but I have a lot of friends who do. And I've yeah. always wondered, you know, what is it that keeps them engaged throughout um, the experience of watching right. a live stream on Twitch? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so it turns out that really they don't just watch content uh, all, the, all the way through. I think it more or less forms like almost background noise to them or mm-hmm. it's an activity that they swap in and out as they do their daily activities or as they're doing mm-hmm. something else. I think that even applies to, you know, podcasts like this nowadays. And um, what really made me realize the potential around live streaming was that there were a lot of systems that were being built on top of platforms like Twitch. And right. they were essentially allowing people to build, um, like say, games, or plugins that increase the interaction. On Twitch, there's even plugins that can look at where your eyes are looking at Uh as a streamer. And, you know, it creates for a lot of comedy and situations on Twitch. So um, 
we tried to build something very early on, but what happened is that Twitch is a very different market. If right. you look at the way that their audience is divided, a lot of the monetization is from the whales, which is like the top 5% of the audience that is actually spending most of that money. Mm-hmm. Um, that wasn't something that was very easy to build up around. And instead, we looked closer to home here in Singapore, here in Southeast Asia. And we found out that on platforms like Facebook and platforms like Instagram, there's actually a lot of people who are selling goods online mm. and through live videos specifically. Mm. And they were doing it all by hand, right? right? So there was essentially no way for them to collect the orders except by writing down the customers' names and then manually speaking to them after the live was over, um, you know, texting them through Facebook Messenger and trying to get their order and bill them. It's a very tedious process. Yeah, just, so, just hold, hold that thought a second. I mean, I'm thinking about how quickly some of these Twitch uh, chats f- uh, scroll up the screen, first of all, and then people putting in their telephone numbers and their orders in that, or, or are they doing it privately? Is that how it would have worked? It was a mix, actually. So you would first place your order by typing out what you want, right? So if there's yeah. um, you know, a seller who's selling Apple, you would essentially say, I want that Apple. I really want it. And then mm-hmm. they would con- contact you after the life was over, which, again, super tedious, uh, almost ridiculous in the way that they did it right then. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so what did you guys do then? You, you came and you went, oh, is, there's a way we can scrape that data somehow. Mm. And surprisingly, that isn't even something that's illegal, right? It's not about scraping the data, but Facebook does have a set of APIs for business use cases. Um, mm. I know that there's a lot of controversy around um, Facebook, Meta, collecting these kind of data. But in reality, as long as you're a business owner on Facebook, mm. you more or less are allowed to read and process the kind of comments that are received on your Facebook page, right. for example. And right. th- these Facebook pages are where the live sellers are actually conducting business. Mm-hmm. So we actually work with Facebook uh, through an approval system. There's a very, very stringent approval process for business partners to actually get hold of these comments. And we can actually process these comments um, using a very simple system. It's not AI or anything. It just reads the comment and converts it into a shopping cart. We then link that shopping cart to the customer, and that's how they actually complete the checkout process. Got it, got it. Your background then, had you any? were you involved with API programming or anything like that in the, in the past? Was, was this where you, your background comes from? Surprisingly, no. I think a lot of people would call me the tech guy on the team, but I'm not so much on the tech space. I'll leave that up to the really professional guys. You know, my CTO is a very, very, very good uh, tech guy, but I actually come from more of a marketing background. Uh I would say that um, even more leaning into consultancy work and uh, my history was actually all over the place. So uh, I didn't go to university. I skipped the university route, uh, even though I went to uh, junior college here in Singapore. Uh, and actually went straight to doing my own businesses. So I did some side hustles where I built websites for clients. I would help them to do the SEO. I would essentially self-learn all of that as well. Um, Mm. Later on, I moved on to doing uh, importing of goods from China, specifically Mm -hmm. toys, to Mm -hmm. distribute through retail here uh, again in Singapore. And surprisingly, that went on later to form the basis of my knowledge around how uh, the you know the web works today. You know how do you how does how do people actually interact in a commerce transaction, right? right. So most people associate commerce as the journey beginning from wanting to buy something, but right. you know 
sometimes it actually begins even before that where the brand has to put you know the perception of their brand in your mind first before you even make and commit to a purchase mm-hmm. and i think all this background actually contributed to why i ended up building up mesh because live commerce is very unique the funnels in live commerce are completely different from that of your typical online marketplace yeah it doesn't start necessarily from you wanting the product at all it actually has someone actively sharing their experience and using their the trust value that they have with you as an influencer they trust to mm. tell you why you should buy something and i think that makes all the difference in today's extremely convoluted advertising processes right so you don't want to you don't want to be advertised to you yeah. want to be involved in the process of choosing what you want to buy and right. that process is now two way through live commerce that's very interesting. Hold that thought, Ziyang. Uh, let's take a short break here. Folks, I'm on the phone with uh, Ziyang. He is from UpMesh, one of the co-founders over at UpMesh. We'll be right back after these messages here on BFM 89.9. Beautiful, festive moments. BFM 89.9, The Business Station. BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Welcome back to Open for Business. I'm on the phone with Ziyang. He is from UpMesh. Ziyang, just very quickly, elevator pitch. What does UpMesh do for people who are tuning in? Yep. So we're essentially a live commerce enabler that aims to be the go-to partner for live commerce merchants all around Southeast Asia. And we actually help these merchants to grow their business and do better at live selling, essentially. Well, there you go. He's just done it way better than I ever could. Uh, Ziyang, it wasn't too long ago that you uh, you closed your seed round, right? Correct, correct. We actually did it last year over in October. And we actually had two rounds almost back to back. So I think mm-hmm. that was a rarity for a startup during that period of time and even then um you know in the terminus market that we have today um it's been a long journey i would say <laughs> even for the fundraisings right can you tell us uh, the people tuning in at home how much you managed to raise yep so we actually raised our first round um led by leo capital as well as with follow-ons from bnex iseed and brasetia so this was yep. for three million dollars um back in october last year and um later on uh, in early November, we actually closed another round. Uh, this was our pre-Series A round with Monks Hill Ventures. They were the sole and lead investor of that round for $7.5 million. Oh, congratulations. Congratulations. That must have felt good. It did. It did because uh, I think a lot of uh, business owners and startup founders out there will understand fundraising is probably the most difficult journey and it's also one that changes very often. There's not much advice you can get from people out there. So yeah. having that journey from all the way from not knowing who to meet not knowing what to do you know Mm. what to say how to do pitches Mm. i think it took well over months i think eight to ten months before we even got any decent edit (laughs) right well let's let's talk about that then i mean that's something this show open for business you know focuses on quite a bit and for people you know i mean like yourself you you said earlier on you didn't go to university you went straight out of the gates to do whatever you wanted to do and you an entrepreneurial young man uh, so to speak you know there's people who are sat listening to this right now who are like look i don't want to be working for somebody else i want to be my own boss i I want my own business and you know people like you and other entrepreneurs will have made mistakes along the way they'll learn things along the way 
for you, what do you think are maybe, you know, two, two or three top tips to give to people who might be tuning in, um, who are on an entrepreneurial journey? What, what do you think they should be doing? Hmm, that's a very good question, actually. And I think the biggest question mark in society today is what is it that makes for your comfort zone, right? So you have an issue with where your dreams versus reality and you don't know how to bridge that gap. I think the one tip I have for people who are really trying to go all out on, you know, the entrepreneurial route or, you know, even thinking or having that that so-called midlife crisis moment around work in general, (laughs) they need to realize that in today's society, work is no longer guaranteed because we are reaching a stage where there's not only so much to do and there's more than just work, it's also about consuming. Mm -hmm. And it's about how you can kind of figure out where does your work tie into the trends around consumption? As long as you're working or in an area that's evergreen or you are at least able to bridge the gap between your work interests and how you want to get out of your comfort zone, you can actually, I would say that you would actually do better at life. And this is something that I learned um, from a very early stage where that decision to leave university was precisely because I knew that I what I wanted to do even back then. Maybe it wasn't at the 100% mark. Maybe it was at a 20% mark. Mm-hmm. But it's not about gambling. It's about knowing that what I'm about to do, if I invest into it, it will slowly increase that percentage. Mm-hmm. So most people don't realize that the journey isn't an all or nothing. You can make steps on the way there, right? Mm-hmm. You don't have to leave your current job to pursue entrepreneurship. You need to have a plan. You need to know how are you going to manage your finances? What are the risks I, that you're taking on by leaving your current job? Or in, uh, I will actually attribute this to my one of my old business partners, right? He actually made the decision to go to university after working with me. And that's because he evaluated the risks differently from me. Right. right, he decided that in his part of the comfort zone, he wants to go to school first, but pursue entrepreneurial stuff afterwards. And that right. doesn't make him lesser than me. That doesn't make me a better man or anything. It just means that he managed to evaluate those risks within what he thinks is right. I think people need to do that more often. Yeah, yeah. Ah, so f- for you, you would say fundamentally then it, it, it's about sitting down assessing your risks and figuring out what it is that you really want to do and take steps in that direction slowly. Correct. And look at it this way, right? If I will even use this as a very clear example. If you are living paycheck to paycheck and you have kids and you know that the paychecks may not even feed your kids, mm. that some people would say that then you should never leave that job right. because you have kids. Right. I would argue otherwise because... Right. At the end of the day, if you know that your paychecks are not going to cover raising your kids, then you need to go full on out to find out what is it that's better that will feed your kids, right? Mm -hmm. You need to go out and look for side hustles and things that you can make money from, you know, almost even in an exploratory manner while you're still on that first paycheck to paycheck approach, Mm -hmm. right? That's the only time that taking on the risk makes sense. And Mm -hmm. if you continue to, you know, work at that so-called, paycheck to paycheck positioning, you may end up in a situation that's worse than before. So mm-hmm. you have to really think about your comfort zone, the risk that you're taking and plan for it. It's not something they can't plan for. This is how investment works as well, right? If mm-hmm. you know how much percentage chance that your investment is going to fail, if you know 
how much money it's going to bring you, then you can have a portfolio of different types of investments that actually average out to what you are gunning for as a goal. So right. it's, it's not so much different from investing. It's just that it's about your own life. <laughs> I love how you put that. Not that different to investing. It's just about your life. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Okay. Just before we wrap up then, um, I, we, we should get back to UpMesh, of course, but that was a sound piece of advice. And I think a lot of people listening needed to hear that, you know, step out of your comfort zone. Now, tell me about um, your, your your next phase of growth. Uh, we have a few minutes left before we wrap up. You guys are doing pretty well right now. Where are you going to go next? What are you going to do next? Mm, I think really what's ahead of us for live commerce is extremely big. It's a very, very huge space that's coming up. In China, it's actually 18% of their entire e-commerce market now. So um, while not on a trajectory towards whether live commerce will succeed, it's yeah. more about when. Right. And we're in a very good position to actually push for that when to happen sooner rather than later. And it's all about trying to build that infrastructure, the software, the back end, the admin support, the guidance for these merchants that's going to go on and form the pillars of tomorrow's commerce, right? Mm -hmm. um, we have no doubt that live commerce is going to succeed. We just need to figure out how do we get there sooner. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And you don't think it's a phase? I really don't think this is a phase. If people are associating live commerce with COVID, the number one thing I always tell people is that do they need to know these sellers have been around for three to five years, where back when COVID wasn't a thing. COVID may have accelerated that adoption, but it actually did a lot of favors for it in a way that's permanent. It's not something that's fleeting. If you look at the numbers, they're not dropping anytime soon. Um, live commerce is here to stay. Brilliant. Thank you so much for your time today, Ziyang. Thank you so much as well, Richard. My pleasure. Folks, I've been on the phone uh, with Wang Ziyang. He is the co-founder of UpMesh. I'm going to get him to do the elevator pitch again. We are a live commerce enabler that will help live sellers to do better at all the stuff that's needed for live commerce. So if you're looking to sell goods online through live video, if you feel like you have a passion and talent for talking to people, convincing them to buy stuff, come, to, come find us, man. We, we want to help you become that entrepreneur you always wanted to be. Upmesh.io. That's the website you should be checking out. If you missed any part of this podcast, uh, sorry, if you missed any part of this show, you can head over and download the podcast where you normally get it from. I recommend the BFM app. It's available in the Apple App Store or Google Play. For Open for Business, my name is Rich Bradbury here on BFM 89.9, The Business Station. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.